You're listening to Driving Law, a podcast by Kyla Lee about all things related to the rules of the road. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Driving Law. I am Kyla Lee, and with me is my very tired co-hostess with the mostest, Paul Doroshenko. I am tired. It's it, been a, like, a, a last six weeks have been heavy duty for us. and It's been like <laughs> running a marathon. Yeah, and it feels like we, uh, feels like we deserve a break, <laughs> but it's Christmas time and we're not going to get a break. And so here we are recording in the office at, uh, late at night. 7.15, not, uh, not in our podcast studio, hence the barking dog. Barking dog. Yeah. Sorry about that. <laughs> if I take my hand off him, he barks. But if I continue to pet him, he barks. Well, not necessarily. <laughs> anyway, so there you go. But it's been uh, lots happening, and uh, yep. lots happening for us, and lots happening out in the world, and a couple of interesting things that we can talk about this week. Well, I thought, you know, we should talk about what's happening out in the world, because, of course, the big news that we got on Monday this week, which feels like it was... 10 weeks ago was that Christmas is officially canceled. Nobody is allowed to see their loved ones for Christmas unless it's at a distance in a zoom or some type of virtual setting. Well, we knew that was coming. I think that was already there. It's just that it's officially some been of us were hoping. stated. Yeah. So it's going to be less travel. The roads should be a little bit less crowded. And I noticed in my driving around recently for work that it's been easier to get around. Um, it's still not easy to get around. If no. you live outside of the lower mainland, you've heard the legends of the traffic in the lower mainland of British Columbia. It is true. There's not that many freeways and those that are can be parking lots. And it's amazing. It, like if you're in Richmond at midnight driving around, the traffic can be as heavy as it is at two in the afternoon. Well, it's also the, you know, making your vehicle reservation for the ferry to travel to Vancouver Island at this time of year. You know, ordinarily I'd be going home to see my family You'd have for to a reserve big Christmas six weeks party before. and I'd be reserving in October. But this year, you know, with yeah. everything up in the air, I wasn't making my reservation. I know that tons of people were canceling their reservations when the orders got extended. Um, you know, you wonder, is BC Ferries going to have the same hourly sailing schedule that they ordinarily do at the holiday season? Or are we going to see them going back to reduced sailings like they did over the summer? Well, I think there'll be some travel. I think we will see some people. Some people will defy the orders. Some people just don't know about it. Lots of people just simply do not know about it. And some people will have legitimate reason that they have to go, well, yeah, to, you know, to take care of family or something like that. Or for Christmas. court. Or for court. So. Or other essential work. Yeah. Um, but interesting that you mentioned people defying the orders, because I thought we would start there this week with all of the work that we do. I mean, we talk to people who are driving and and when they get whatever incident that leads them to dealing with us. They're in their cars, they're driving somewhere, they're driving from somewhere, and it's not always people who are going to and from work, especially when it comes to people who are, you know, charged with drinking and driving. Sorry, that's Wrigley that you can hear. Um, you know, they're coming from somewhere where there's alcohol and going home or going to somewhere where there's more alcohol. So I guess what you could say is that we are seeing people who are, are not so, abiding by the orders and... and 
people who are like having office Christmas dinners and so much defiance getting pulled over and and it's really surprising to us and we were talking about it and I was actually uh, um, you know it was a, I've been discussing it with other people who have observed this as well um, and I think it's a lot of people just do not know they just don't know what the orders are or they don't think they're that confused. it applies to them they don't know what they're like you can't have your same six people bubble anymore some people are just selfish Yep. Um, some people should know better. Like when you see office Christmas parties and, you know, people like leaving from an office Twitter, Christmas party. So many lawyers on Twitter tweeting about their office Christmas parties. I know. I know. Couldn't believe it. It's, you know, you should know better. But of course, you you and I are somewhat obsessed. That's true. Watching the Bonnie Henry hour every day. I, well, no, it's um, not every day. I wish it were every but, day. But three times a week. I'm, know, I'm glued to Bonnie. You don't, you know, my office door is closed at three o'clock or three thirty, depending on the day. People do not come in my office. I am yeah. listening to Bonnie. Yes. But really, the meat and potatoes of the Bonnie Henry Hour only lasts about 10 minutes. But you watch it every day, and you know, 753 new people today or something like that, and 728 yeah. or whatever it was, 28 and 28 deaths, deaths uh, which is staggering and awful to think 28 people died. And you think well, 3,000 people died in the U.S. yesterday. And, you know, weigh that against the uh, destruction of the Twin Towers. And deaths are a lagging indicator. So you see the infections being reported, you know, 10 days after the exposure because they're being tested, you know, they're waiting for their symptoms to come on. Then they're being tested and then it's being reported. So you've got 10 days after the exposure, we're seeing the infections being reported. And then two weeks after the infections, we're seeing the deaths. So these ones that we're hearing about right now are people who did shit on the long weekend. Pretty much. So yeah. if people don't listen to the orders, if people don't cancel their Christmas plan, don't go to their office Christmas dinner that shouldn't be happening, stop going to the pub with your friend or meeting a coworker for a drink after work, unless you both live alone and you are each other's pandemic bubble, and that means one or two people if you live alone, if they don't do that... You know, middle of January, we're going to see a huge spike in deaths. Well, and I think the vaccine coming out at this point um, also is going to give a lot of people false help. Oh, yeah. Um, and they're going to, uh, they're going to, you know, personally loosen things up and, and, and risk. And, uh, you know, I was thinking as I was driving today, um, you know, how careful we are, but it's hard to remember to be careful all the time. It's invisible. You know, I was dealing with my client today in court. I was sort of leaning into my client to talk to him. I'm handing papers around. You know, I'm assuming that I'm okay. I'm hand sanitizing every once in a while. But I, you know, I forget. I forget. It's an invisible thing. It could be him. It could be her. It could be somebody else. You know, there's the, um, there's the sheriff. There's the clerk. There's everybody else that it could be. Yep. Anyway, I can say that uh, conducting a trial during a pandemic, like a serious heavy trial, has been really, really stressful, and uh, <laughs> I don't want to do another one. I'm yeah, looking forward next, to getting a next vaccine. Next pandemic, I'm canceling all my trials. Uh, <laughs> I'm saying, look, I did a pandemic trial before. It's just, it's too, it's too much. Anyway, I, I think the um, the government in BC, although they've done some fairly significant marketing and they've done things to try and get the word out, I think just a significant portion of the population don't listen to the news. They only listen to maybe Drex on Jack FM. Now I noticed that he's there, um, and uh, and they're not they're not paying attention. Or you know, there's a certain we, we always speak about the group of people who are just deniers. 
But I think there's a huge portion of the population are just not paying attention. Well, there's also uh, the know. fatigue, right? Like we've been talking about COVID-19 since March and it was easy for us all to get on board in March because it was new and we were afraid and nobody knew very much. And we were looking at scenes out of the hospitals in Italy with horror and we thought we don't want that to happen here. And then it never manifested. And then we kind of went back to normal for the summer and it didn't get that bad in the summer. And people are like, oh, we're all blowing this out of proportion. I think there's a lot of that. Like they're just tired of hearing about it. They didn't think it was that bad and they just want to be normal again. Well, I, I get out of the car in the morning and I start walking into the office and I reach into my pocket and I feel my mask and that's what reminds me. Otherwise, half the time I would yeah. forget. Yeah. I mean, I think I mentioned to you the other day, like these, these times that like I suddenly snap into reality where I'm like, holy fucking shit. Like, this is so weird. And other times where I'm like, this is just not real. None of this is happening. This is just my mind playing a crazy trick on me. Yep. Um, anyway, so big spike in my view and, and through the lens that we get to see where people are going and what people are doing in the course of our work, I think a big spike in people who are not following orders over the last several months. Huge. And a lot of people who just seem to assume that their friends must be okay. Yeah. Um, because they're going out with their friends and we're seeing, yeah. we're seeing basically like Christmas party, Christmas party results already, uh, in, um, in new files. So it's a, it's a concern. Now, how do you deal with it? I don't know. Is the government going to listen to our podcast and come to some conclusions on that basis? I doubt it. Um, will we all end up uh, suffering in January as a result? Yeah. Probably. Well, that's very annoying because I do not want to suffer anymore. Um, now, here's another question for you. Driving law-wise. I sound like you have a <coughs> cough there, Kyla. I have my constant minor <coughs> cough that comes up a little bit every once in a while when I'm tired. It's not an issue. It's a chronic cough. Um... <coughs> Speaking of chronically ill, a chronically ill British Columbia man is the subject of a story and a police complaints investigation here in BC. So let me ask you this, Paul. If you're a RCMP officer and you see a vehicle rolled over in a rural area on the side of the road, nobody around, what do you do? If you're a police officer? Yes. Uh, I think you start searching around the vehicle. You figure out the owner of the vehicle. The phone numbers are available through ICBC. The police officers can get the cell phone number and start calling the cell phone number to figure out, speak to the owner of the vehicle to find out what the hell is going on. Mm -hmm. um, Maybe and go if, to the registered owner's address. Yeah, and if you can't do that, then I'd say you put out a search party uh, around the vehicle because if somebody hit their head and went wandering into the woods or something or you know, maybe call the hospital and see if somebody showed up there. Does that seem reasonable? I'm not a police officer, so... Gosh, those all seem like perfectly reasonable ideas. And it actually, this story reminded me of something that happened to you and I several years ago when we made that ridiculous, insane snowstorm trip to Haida Gwaii, where our flights got canceled um, to Masset because of a snowstorm. We had two trials, one in Queen Charlotte City and one in Masset, and so instead of um, 
flying to Masset, we rebooked for an hour later on an Air Canada flight to Queen Charlotte's or to Skidigat. Yeah. And we flew to Skidigat and took the ferry in the storm, the cable ferry in the storm, rented a car, dug it out of the snow, <laughs> and drove to Queen Charlotte City, and then from there to Masset. Yeah, we had dinner that night in Queen Charlotte City, and uh, our judge the next day was at the next table over. Yeah, and which is not uncommon. We and, had we had the and if we had if if he had arrived a little bit earlier, we probably would have had dinner together. Yeah, and the hotel we stayed at, uh, there was no heater in my room. No, and I yeah. I slept with my clothes and my coat and my gloves no, and my was, shoes it was, on. It was cold in there, and the walls were thin. <laughs> um, I should have knocked on the wall and been like, "Send heat." <laughs> It was no warmer in my room. I, just, I was prepared to sleep in my clothes. Um, so, but in that trip, on our way from Queen Charlotte City to Masset, I don't know if you remember, but there was a car in the ditch on the side of the road. And I made you turn around and go back to make sure that the car had been checked and that there wasn't anybody in it. And then when we got back, we saw the caution tape on it. Oh, when we drove back, yeah, we, I didn't have to get out of the car. I no. driving back and seeing that the police had put tape on there, that it had been cleared. So, like, that's you and me, not police officers, <laughs> owing no duty to this crashed car. And we did the right thing. In Anaheim Lake. Anaheim Lake. It's spelled Anaheim. I think it's Anaheim. Well, whatever. In a very small town in the BC interior, a, a man named Terry Vecchiola crashed his car. He hit a deer, went off the road, rolled, landed in, on the side, got out. Um, somebody offered him assistance. There was no cell service. He said, no, it's okay. I'll stay with my car. And the passerby goes and tells the RCMP about the accident. Now, Vecchiola disappears. Apparently, he was really shaken up after the accident, didn't realize that you know he needed help. Yeah. You've been in an accident. I've been in an accident. You know, like your initial moments. Um, I, I was cross-examining a paramedic once. And I said, uh, you know, a person would be in shock. And the paramedic wanted to argue with me about various versions of interpretations of the word to be in shock. Um, you know, like so stupid. You have an accident. Anybody who's been in an accident is shaken up. Okay, I'm going to interrupt this horrific thing that we're going to be talking about. To remind you of my favorite accident-related answer in trial ever. Which was? When you asked a witness at a trial that we did, a police officer, have you ever been in an accident? And there was like 32 seconds of silence with the eye darting around, like thinking eyes happening before the officer went, um, yes. (laughs) Yeah, I remember that. It was I the weirdest that. fucking thing. Was, and, and you were like, sorry, you couldn't remember whether you'd been in an Well, I know. Accident. And I, I actually, my whole cross-examination pivoted at that point because yeah. why did it take 32 why? seconds when it was clearly something the officer remembered? Either remembered you've been clearly, in an accident or you haven't. And, and, and admitted afterward, remen- remembered it clearly. And why did it take 32 seconds? It was, it was kind of like we all went into a, a separate time vortex. <laughs> It was one of the times in court, and there have been a few where it's been very hard for me not to just burst out laughing because what's happening is so ridiculous. Oh, that was it. That was it's it. It's like in my top three. Yeah. Well, there was some from uh, Massett there where the the officer, well, oh, the vehicle, yeah. vehicle was... Half, half on the road, half in the ditch. <laughs> yeah. So the vehicle was on the road. No. No. So the vehicle was in the ditch. No. No. 
All right. Where was the vehicle? Half on the road, half on the ditch. Fuck. Just answer the damn yeah. question. I mean, if you don't have to, it's not a yes or no game. No. Um, anyway, we could do, we could do an episode of Driving Law about cross-examination. Perhaps sometime in the future, we might have a reason to do an episode about cross-examination. Sure. So let's get back to this poor fellow. So, Vecchiola, um, RCMP show up. They find car. They find wallet, keys, and prescription medication still in the vehicle. Which would tell you that the, who leaves their wallet and keys there. And prescriptions. Yeah. Drugs. Yeah. Expensive. And no vacuola. So they go, ah, he must have got a ride. Got a ride from fucking who? Well, who's going to pick him up and still leave his wallet, keys, and medication? Yeah, and also who's going to pick him up if he's already declined a ride and there's no cell service, so it's not like he could have called somebody. Yeah. So he's disoriented, and apparently what happened was he wandered off into the woods to try and find the deer because he was feeling bad for hitting the deer. So he goes looking for the deer, he gets lost in the trees, he gets all freaked out, he lies down in the snow to catch his breath, and you know what happens when you lie down in the snow? You make an angel, snow angel. You make an angel of yourself, because you die. Oh, okay. Um, And worse still, is he suffers from COPD. Oh. So he's got a serious health condition. Um, And uh, because of the COPD, he can't even hear other people when he's having so much trouble breathing because yeah. he can't yeah. hear over his own breathing. And he tried to send uh, um, text messages to his wife, but there was no service. And they've got these texts in this story on Vice by Manisha Krishnan, who is a, an excellent um, uh, excellent um, journalist with Vice. It says, I'm sorry I got disoriented after my accident and wandered off into the forest and I can't breathe and I am stuck in this place. I don't know why the rescue people have not been looking for me. I think I'm going to die here. I love you all. Bye. With no breathing meds, I'm fucked. I'm so sorry, but if no rescue comes soon, I'm going to have to end it. Tell the cops my body is not far off the road and should be easy to find. By the way, I went into the woods to check the deer I hit. Horrible. Oh my gosh. It's like his love letter to his family and his goodbye, and it never so, even but got what sent. Happens? What happens? So his wife becomes concerned that he doesn't come home. He hasn't checked in. Um, she hasn't heard anything from him. And she calls him. She says she called him about 150 times, and all the calls went straight to voicemail. So she got worried. She started phoning the police stations, asking if there had been car accidents. And it was about 2 o'clock the next afternoon, the next day, before she's finally contacted by one of the officers who'd been at the accident scene. And by 4 p.m., two hours later, they found him in the woods. So he's been in the woods, like, basically for 24 hours. He's giving he's it up. dehydrated, hypothermic, and he had to spend days in the hospital and <laughs> then get flown to get cardiac care at a specialty hospital. And the RCMP, like, weren't giving him any answers about what is this? When did this happen? This happened... Um, you know what? I don't know. Huh. Was it this oh, year? it was October 11th. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's horrifying. It is horrifying. So they, so he's trying to, to get help with this and his options, right? Like you can file a complaint with the Civil- Civilian Review and Complaints Committee, um, or you can go FOI and try and get access to the report. But of course, the Mounties are protecting themselves, not releasing answers to them. Took took us 
five years to get a response from our last FOI but like, came this week. How are there not um how are there not rules around what the police are supposed to do with these situations? Like how is there not a specific guideline? You come across a vehicle that's been in an accident or a vehicle's been reported. Well, there probably to you. is. There probably is, and I'll bet they didn't follow it or they didn't know it. But I mean, guidelines and common sense. All you need here is common sense. You find a vehicle, the guy's wallet is in there, the keys are in there, the the uh, medication is in there. He didn't abandon the vehicle. He didn't leave. Yeah. You know, start searching. Start looking. In, is this in the snow? Start looking for footprints in the snow. Well, there's also, like, recordings. Recorder in Anaheim Lake, there's snow. Recordings between his wife and a staff sergeant that suggests that Neither of the officers who showed up at the scene ran the plate. Oh my gosh. Why would you not run a plate just even to find out, you know, what, is this a stolen vehicle? Yeah. Like, just the basic. Well, I mean, they may not have had radio there, but you'd think they would have radioed further along. I mean, there's lots of places in BC where the police cannot get a radio signal. Usually they know where on the highway they can get a radio signal. Yeah. I mean, to me, I just, I, I, this is the type of thing, and, and we see this. So often we see, um, you know, police not conducting good investigations. And I will tell you two things. One, this happened in BC, and it could happen to any of us if we were in an accident. But also, but number two, this happened because of the IRP scheme. Yes, I'm sure the listeners to the podcast would like to know why you say that, but I'm, I can tell you why it happened. <laughs> With the IRP scheme, yes. The immediate roadside prohibition scheme has had this horrible impact of completely de-skilling police officers. And we're not just talking about, like, they don't know how to conduct a basic impaired driving investigation anymore. And God forbid, right? Like, God forbid they show up at the scene having issued a handful of IRPs of a fatal collision. They're the first officer on scene, and they've got to embark on a serious impaired driving investigation. And they've never conducted an impaired driving investigation. They've never been to court. They've never been nope. to cross-examined nope. in a trial. They have no idea what they are supposed to be, evidence they're supposed to be collecting. Half the time, I see my the IRP files started by one officer, completed by another officer, in order for the second officer to be able to get enough immediate roadside prohibition arrests over the course of a year and thereby win an Alexa award. You know, I wonder that like if the, the Bidlar family who pushed for this legislation and, you know, they called it Alexa's law when it came out, I wonder if they knew that the outcome of this would be that people like Carol Berner, who was, you know, the, the driver who killed their child, would probably not be convicted now because of how crappy the police are at conducting impaired investigations. And, and the police can see that to me when I talk to them, senior officers. Oh, yeah. And even the senior officers would tell me, probably if you got them in a moment of honesty, that they're, they've lost a lot of skill in it too because you see it in their IRP reports. Well, you also see this... Officers I, who conducted impaired driving investigations 15 years ago, right? You know, I think you see an attitude with police too, like younger police officers who've been brought up on the IRP scheme that the more anti-defense lawyer attitude. Whereas like, if you talk to senior officers, I mean, they may not like defense lawyers, but they recognize that when they go to court, 
when they're cross-examined, when they're made to answer for the decisions that they made and justify those decisions and explain why they didn't do things a different way, it makes them better police officers. Of course. And it's it's this de-skilling, I think, is not just happening in impaired driving cases, because this, this Vecchiola guy, this wasn't an impaired. This was just a freak accident. But... The de-skilling is that they're no well, longer Well, they using... showed up and realized that they couldn't issue an IRP, yeah. so they left. Ah, he's gone, I'm not no going to I'm not going to get any Alexa award here. I better continue down the road. I mean, cynically, yeah, that's, you're probably exactly correct. If I drive to a private liquor store, maybe I'll catch somebody. That's a good fishing hole. But the, you know, it's also, they don't know how to think critically about an investigation. Because when, as a police officer, are you actually seriously cross-examined? There are essentially, I think, two real circumstances. The first is when you conduct an impaired driving investigation. You're going to be put to task. It's the reason, mean, well, I, it's the I, reason mean, I liked impaired driving law and why I ended up doing it was because I like cross-examining police officers because they are expert witnesses. Yeah when they are actually know what they're doing. And a lot of times you can just, okay, they'll agree to a reasonable proposition over and over and over. I love cross-examining cops. I could do it all day, every day. <laughs> it would be exhausting, but it would be fun. Well, it's just not fun cross-examining other people for me. But. No. Um, but the other time maybe is like in a drug investigation where you're an undercover and you're preparing a search warrant and you're executing the warrant and there's like a dynamic entry, but that's not a lot of files. The rest of the stuff you're doing, the beat cop stuff, you know, you're what, what you're going to go investigate a domestic or some stolen property or a mischief and your involvement in the file might be like arresting, chartering, warning, releasing. Yeah. PTA. Like yeah. you, you come, you testify. I took a statement from Jane Smith. Yeah. She was very distraught. I noticed that she had bruises. Your testimony is 10 minutes of a two day trial. Or you don't, you're not even called to testify because it's not necessary. Yeah, whatever. They put the photos in through some other witness. But your role as a police officer is never bigger than in an impaired driving investigation because you're usually witness to the offense. You're usually gathering the evidence to prove the offense. You're, you're with the person for the entire time that all of the evidence is being collected. Like, when else are police that engaged? Yeah. And so... You get these officers that just lose the skill of how to testify. They lose the skill of how to investigate because nobody teaches them, why didn't I think about this? So Alberta can look forward to that uh, as they move to uh, um, their IRS scheme and uh, also uh, ad administrative law tickets. Yeah, have fun, Alberta. When it comes time for a police officer to actually investigate an impaired driving case when one of your family members has been injured, a uh, victim of an impaired driver, the police are not going to be capable of doing it. Um, and um, the only thing is that we noticed in BC there was other repercussions. We noticed that prosecutors weren't as attuned to the defenses, so no. it made it more difficult to explain why they wouldn't succeed. And eventually judges, and uh, us too, but eventually judges... Uh, speak you know, for yourself. Yeah, well, the, I, I just noticed it was harder to explain to judges why the law was what the law was because they yep. they knew it um, because so many of them were former prosecutors. Now we've got a quite a mixed variety and they don't run those trials. Like, you know, there's not an impaired driving trial running in, in every courthouse um, every week in British Columbia like there used to be two or three running in every courthouse every week. 
And I'm sure as a judge, it's a great way to hone your skills on writing judgments about charter breaches and, and the like. Oh, but so many of the judgments back then were just off the yeah. bench and, and, uh, can't you two go good. outside the courtroom and figure something out? Well, we used to get that too. Judges used to say that to us and, and the judge used to tell the prosecutor without saying in front of my client that this is a problem and you've got this problem and this problem. And, you know, it, once the, once that's been laid down, there was usually some sort of negotiated resolution. But in any event, the point here is that, yeah, you're right. Uh, the quality of policing and and uh, that type of policing has gone down. Mm -hmm. The other thing I've noticed is that the uh, attitude many young officers have and the manner in which they treat people uh, has become much worse because they never have to explain it. Yep. They never have to explain it. And in fact, these days, they're spending less time in the detachment with their supervisors looking over things. So there's even less likelihood of explaining it. And sometimes I look at, at these reports and it looks like you've got two young officers who are uh, colluding to hide something that they did. Well, we had one one case where our client got out of the car and attempted to run away, and then there was a delay making the demand because his leg became broken. Yes. And it was in that language. Became, became broke. broken. Well, how did his leg break? Yeah. Like, so the truth comes out, but um, sometimes you've got those things in there like leg became broken and sometimes you don't have any mention yeah. of it at all. <laughs> if a prosecutor like, saw leg became broken, that's when the file is getting kicked back to the police for please explain. Yep. In any event. So yeah, that's a problem. That's a problem. So Paul. Time for. It's time for the ridiculous driver of the week. <laughs> Ridiculous driver of the week. Actually, there's a number of candidates so this many week. This week. It's uh, hard to choose. Um, I don't know. Are we going to talk about the uh, the Oliver uh, issue at all, or are we just going to talk about no. the, the great one from Vancouver? The great one from Vancouver. So Sergeant Christensen, who is the sergeant in, in one of the sergeants. So often we say friend of the podcast, but he's not necessarily a friend of the podcast. He's a frequent listener, common criticizer of the podcast, yeah. Sergeant Christensen, who I quite like. And an interesting guy. I He's like nice. him too. No, I like him. <laughs> um, he, yeah, he makes me laugh. Um, he has a very active Twitter. Uh, I think it's called Bald Guy 1337 or something. Yeah, you just type in Bald Guy and chances are yeah. it's going to come up in there and, and you'll see it. He tweets a lot about some of the traffic stops, but he had one of my favorites the other day where uh, he pulled over a young woman who had just come back from failing the test to get rid of her L. So she was an N driver, or an L, L driver. L driver. Had to have a supervisor in her vehicle. Did not have a and supervisor. And she failed her test. Why did she fail her test, Kyla? Because... She was driving in a bus lane. Ah, okay. So she went to do her test. Drove in a bus drove lane. Drove in a bus lane. <laughs> How do you drive in a bus lane on your test? During her test. And so she failed her test as a result of that. And then why was she pulled over? Driving in a bus lane. <laughs> okay, all right. And uh, she's driving in a bus lane. And what about her supervisor? Did not have one. Nor did she have an L sign up. So she's driving a vehicle. She's an L driver. She's got her class seven. She must have a supervisor. It's a restriction on her license. She has no supervisor in her vehicle. She's driving in a bus lane. 
She just failed her driving test because she had been driving in a bus lane. Mm -hmm. And, uh, of course, she doesn't have her L displayed. Yep. And uh, so she got three tickets. (laughs) And the best part, apparently, was that she explained to Sergeant Christensen that she had her, her L test and showed him the paperwork. That that was why she'd failed. Well, I don't know that it was him who, who issued it, but okay, well, yeah, to the to, officer, to the officer, at the it time. wasn't him who issued it yeah, actually. It was but yes, so provided that evidence. So, and I, I, you know, I tweeted back that that's obviously a defense because she doesn't know, she doesn't know the law when it yeah, comes to yeah. the, you know, <laughs> she's, she's still just making the same mistake over and over. Nobody's explained <laughs> it to her. This is so funny. Anyway, just, that, that, that is pretty ridiculous. I mean, so often our ridiculous drivers of the week have some accident or something like that. Um, it's been a while since we had someone who was just, just being ridiculous. You know, I think of back when I was a, uh, a learner in Alberta, we didn't have to display an L or anything like that, but there's not a chance that I would have driven without a supervisor. No. I mean, I'm not a chance. I just, I, as far as I was concerned, I didn't have a license. It was just a, like a conditional thing where I could operate a motor vehicle if somebody was there letting me do it. I did a lot of dumb shit when I was a teenager, um, and I did not, when I had my L, drive without my mom in the car or without the L on the back. Yeah. I used to give my mom shit when she would drive around after I was done with my L still displayed. That's illegal! It's actually not. Um, but I was, like, so paranoid about it. Yeah. Well, there you go. So that was uh, that's a pretty ridiculous driver of the week. Do we have anything else we want to talk about? That's only halfway no, through. Well, this is our podcast. Well, it's a fairly short podcast. It's a short though. podcast this week because we've been incredibly busy, but maybe next week we'll be less busy. <laughs> uh, not likely. Um, but next week we will have another exciting episode of Driving Law. And if you need to get a hold of us between now and then, give us a call at 604-685-8889 or find us online at VancouverCriminalLaw.com and we hope to have you tune in next week.